0: Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland.
1: Energy at work for you. To start off, we're joined by our panel to discuss some of the stories in this morning's newspapers and to review the week. Uh, f- first of all, it's a great pleasure to welcome back the legal affairs correspondent with the Sunday Business Post, a recipient of another award last week, the Justice Media Award, Francesca Common. Uh, good morning. There is life after news talk.
2: There really is. Nice to have you back, though, Ivan. What happened to you?
1: Well, I'm 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 struggling on. Uh, on the other side, it's a great pleasure to welcome public affairs consultant. Irish Examiner columnist and former senior political advisor Gerard Howland, Life after Fianna Fáil is there? Oh, A lot of us, yeah <laughs> and uh, after politics. Indeed. And also with us, uh, the man of the moment, or certainly of the week, the TD for Dublin South West. The last time I saw him, he was someone representing austerity, Anti-Austerity Alliance, but now rebranded as Solidarity. Recently found not guilty in some trial you may have heard about. I'm really disgusted. Paul Murphy, you didn't bring your loud hailer in this morning. It's in the car. It's in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Never too far away. So, let me tell you what's in the front pages of this morning's newspapers, just scanning the uh, headlines, the Sunday Independent payback time for squeezed middle it seems Tisha Glea Radker plans to unveil cuts to the universal social charge, and they say there's no general election coming uh, the Sunday Business Post revealed how state-backed funds slash tax bill to a mere 250 euros Fianna Fáil demands answers from the government these are private equity firms who've availed of this infamous Section 110 uh, tax relief for special purpose vehicles, and they name some of them. who officials warn against new cuts to USC. The Sunday Times has Jobstown trial tweets inspired contempt bill. This is a private member's bill being put forward by backbencher Josefa Madigan, Madigan Fine Gael TD, uh, basically dealing with social media and the Jobstown trial. And finally, the Mail on Sunday. Anglo case Barris got three times the going rate. Instead of uh, 858 euros a day, three grand a day, as well as the initial fee of 40 grand. All that in relation to the uh, uh, collapse case of Shawnee Fitzpatrick. Well, where else can we start but with the Jobstown trial let's go back in time Paul Murphy was actually in this very studio on the morning after uh, the protest, Jobstown protest I think it was the 15th of November to be precise Uh, Paul had an exchange with Catherine Zappone who was a Senator at the time, now of course Minister for Children, she came on to dispute Paul's description of the events as a peaceful protest
3: Protests
4: were peaceful protests.
1: Uh, yes, they were angry protests. Uh, yes, they resulted in
3: the Taunishta being detained in Tala for a couple of hours with a, a sit-down protest of half an hour and then being slow-marched uh, out of, of Jobstown.
5: Well, when he says that, my question is to him, I, you know, I'm just wondering um, how much of it he was there for, but I do understand from others that he was there for, for most of it. Um, <clears throat> I was, um, from the very beginning with the Taunishta, as we walked... Two uh, from OnCASON, which is the community education organization that was offering um, the, the many people from the West Tala community uh, certificates uh, because they had studied uh, uh, in, in a higher education program with us there. I was walking with the Thomas from our building to the church where we were holding the ceremony because our own building couldn't, couldn't hold all of the families and the people there and it was at that stage that in my experience, the protest became intimidating. We were spat at, the, the tarnished water was thrown over her, and people came over and were hemming us in, even though guards were trying to surround us. and uh, When she had given the, the the address and came out later and gets into the car, um, and that is when I think even more intimidation uh, and also um Uh, really very menacing behavior uh, erupted. uh, Many of the people were surrounding the car, banging the car, the windows with their posters, um, and I was very, very concerned uh, and frightened for her safety at that stage.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't there at the start. That's the, that is true. I, I missed the first 10 minutes wh- when they walked by. Um, I wouldn't be in favour of any spitting or water being thrown or anything like that. Um, I think if that happened, that's unfortunate. It's an expression of people's anger. I was there at the time that Joan Burton got into the car. It's true that for, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes, there was some banging of the car. Um, I don't think that counts as violence, to be honest. Um, Joan Burton was inside the car. She was safe. There was no problem. People were expressing their anger. That then stopped. I argued we should have a sit-down protest. We then had a sit-down protest that was entirely peaceful.
5: It is extraordinary, Paul, to hear you say that you don't perceive that as intimidating behaviour. With five or six Gardaí surrounding the car, trying to protect her from that, and with a host of Gardaí and a helicopter coming in later, if it wasn't intimidating and harassing behaviour, I don't understand then why we needed to call all of them.
3: I mean, I don't understand why we needed... There was two helicopters there from the Gardaí at some stage. There was loads of Guardi. in a community where people, when they tried to get the Gardaí, find it extremely difficult. So that shows that the, the priorities of the Gardaí is. it doesn't show the protest was violent. In terms of people banging on the car, et cetera, when I was there, it was overwhelmingly women rather than this image of, like, large it, men. And, and in fact, dangerous.
5: it was... No, in fact, Paul, it was the children as well. And that was the most disturbing aspect of it. The children banging on the window in the Tanishta, as well as the uh, adults there, intimidating. And as you know so well, uh, when she moved from that car to the armored car that they brought, a whole host of people just moved in and almost crushed her. I was there and I witnessed that. And I can say that that certainly at the very least is menacing behavior, if not intimidating and violent behavior. That's uh, what my witnessing of, of, of that event.
1: That was the exchange on this very show back uh, in November 2014 between Catherine Zappone and Paul Murphy, who's in the studio with us. Good morning, Paul. You're welcome. Good morning. Now... Um, OK, I think if you look through the Sunday papers, Saturday papers and all the aftermath of it, I think there is a consensus that the DPP overreached in terms of uh, the almost kidnapping charge that they preferred and that the bar was put too high. T- taking that as a given for this discussion and that that, was the, that, that didn't serve just as well and you're fully acquitted of that, Could could I put it to you? that, you know, just just reading through wh- wh- what's come out, as a public representative, things like, you know, calling Joan Burton fat bitch, effing C that rhymes with, with punt, a whore, scumbag, traitor. I mean, is this the type of thing that you should be sort of triumphalist about as a public representative. Surely common standards of decency would would not would I, not be something you should be proud of. Ivan, I, I was charged with false imprisonment. Uh,
3: my co-defendants were charged with false imprisonment. Uh, there was a storm whipped up by Labour Party. Uh, Alex White was the first on the 6-1 news on the day of the protest who described it as false imprisonment. He was followed by a chorus of others, including the Taoiseach then, Who described it as kidnapping, and it's the same charge. There is no separate charge of kidnapping anymore. Uh, And uh, Leo Varadkar described it as thuggery. And the media consensus now that we were charged with the wrong charge didn't exist then. Even pre us being charged, nobody raised a voice to say, "Well, it will be over the top to charge him with false imprisonment." So I reject the idea that now the media has seen its senses. I think. The fact is that an ordinary jury of men and women found us not guilty. And now sections of the media are trying to say, OK, well, they were guilty of something else. And I don't believe we were guilty of any crime because we were exercising our right to Even protest. Even public disorder? We, no, I don't think so. Because what, what we brought out... And, and do you think those terms of, defense, of abuse are reasonable? No, no, I don't. But not we, we weren't... I wasn't... The defendants weren't accused of any violence, orchestration of any violence, of any abuse. In the Garda's statements which resulted in the prosecution, they attempted to pin me with orchestrating violence. But the prosecution didn't attempt to stand that up because it was contradicted by the video evidence. And I think there's an attempt to rerun the trial now, which has been done in great detail
1: in front of a jury who saw everything there was to see, multiple video angles. But the trial is over. We're now dealing yes. with the public debate. And, and you know, I, I put it to you that on a number of levels, is it, is it reasonable that Paul Murphy decides what laws are just or unjust that you can protest against? Surely we all, as, public rep- and as you as public representatives in particular, have an obligation to respect the law. But part of the law is people's right to protest. People have a right to
3: freedom of assembly in the constitution. People have a right to protest at the European Convention on Human Rights. And sometimes that right can come into conflict with other people's rights. And it's a question of the guards ensuring that everybody's rights are respected and enforced as much as is possible. And ultimately, it may be for the courts to decide how those rights are, are balanced. I exercise my right to protest, as did the vast majority of people who were there on that day. We didn't engage in abuse and violence and anything like that. We engaged in sit down protests. That is abuse. It it is. But I'm saying to you that the vast, vast majority of people were not engaged in that. It suited Joan Burton to say, for example, in the stand, she said she didn't hear any political slogans. That was laughable. But do you not accept
1: the tone? As opposed to those in O'Connell Street and and other peaceful. were, were A. Menacing and be intimidatory. Of a very small minority. The vast majority, for example, you'll see
3: talk of eggs, bottles, etc. being thrown. They, they were being thrown by people outside of the protest and they were hitting both guards and protesters indiscriminately. The jury saw videos of protesters calling to those people stop throwing things because we didn't want anyone to be hit by anything uh, like that. This was down about to the right of protest. And say if we'd been found guilty, Say if we didn't have the video that we had of the vote that showed that the guards fundamentally were not telling the truth and I would say consciously not telling the truth they all had the same wrong
1: inaccurate story. If we didn't have that okay. video
3: we could be guilty today, okay. we'd be in prison well, your, and no one would oh, be saying oh, okay. oh it was the wrong charge. Well
1: just on the Gardaí what were the guardie to do, in, uh, as opposed to surrounding her car, if they were to clear the street and do a baton charge and and use physical force to remove people, you'd be the first up with your video clips saying it was pre- police brutality. Absolutely. So the guards
3: should have said, OK, there is a uh, conflict of rights here. There's a right of people to... Uh, make progress in the direction they want to make progress. And there's a right of people to protest. And how can we resolve this situation in a way to respect everybody's rights? Instead, the guards from the word go saw the protesters as the problem. They intervened in a very heavy-handed, forceful Manner, They tore my top uh, off uh, and they brick escalated the situation. Through guard a car? Two hours after the protest was finished, two hours after I was gone, two hours after Joan Burton was gone, usefully used by the Sunday Independent to portray the protest in a, in a bad light but nothing to do with the protest whatsoever. What should have happened is what happened with an ordinary member of the public order unit about two hours into the protest who leaned down to me and said, what can we do to resolve the situation that resulted in an agreement to slow Marcher out of the area? The guards then in court all attempted to deny that agreement, apart from the guard who brokered it and apart from a guard who had since retired. The fact is that once they began to engage in that way, protesters were willing to engage. I, although I wasn't orchestrating, wasn't leading, didn't organise the protest, played a responsible role with other members of my party and other
1: protesters in helping to bring the protest to an end. But before I bring in other members of the panel, I just want to deal with one issue that hasn't been fully addressed, I think, by you, and that is the social media angle of this. It's alleged that you were tweeting from the courtroom. Uh, and uh, you see today there's a proposal from a Fine Gael backbencher to introduce uh, uh, things. I was speaking to my producer earlier about what... When any court case is going on a criminal court case what I on radio or what the station here or any other broadcast media can and can say by way of running commentary do you accept that it, it could be A prejudicial but B it's, it, it could be even in contempt of court to run a campaign parallel to a presiding court case on social media I don't believe that the campaign that we
3: ran uh, was prejudicial or was in contempt of court uh, it was not aimed At the jury, first of all. It really wasn't. It was aimed at informing a public that was bad. But everyone has a smartphone, including jurors. Sure, but the jurors are also directed not to pay attention to the media that's dealing with, not to pay attention to social media, not to do any research. And we trust that we have robust juries. The second thing is that if the jurors went online to look at what we were saying about the trial, they wouldn't have heard about anything that they didn't hear inside court. Nothing that Solidarity published about the no, trial saying, wasn't, didn't happen in front of the jury. Saying someone's evidence is a load of rubbish is prejudicial. Uh, the jury was well capable of seeing the, the conflict in evidence that existed and making their own mind up. I mean, the, the jury are the experts on this trial more than anyone else. And I think it's 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 an attempt to demean the jury to say that they're not capable of meet- reaching this decision uh, by themselves, there must have been some outside uh, influence, and it's ignorant about the content. And I think it's, to be honest, it's a distraction from the key issues here, which is how on earth did this prosecution happen? How did the guards get into the box, say the same inaccurate uh, things? How did they have statements that they were unwilling to stand over uh, in court? A- and questions about that. And that's what we should be having editorials on.
1: Instead, unfortunately, we have editorials about social media. Francesca Common, um, you you are a veteran of all these court cases. Did anything strike you about this case that was different? I mean, some people have said, you know, the one the one common case in terms of Middle Ireland being disaffected by the outcome of this it, relative to both Shawnee Fish and this case is that the process in this case the overreach of the charge didn't serve justice
2: Well I think that's fair enough the DPP has had a bad few months as you say the Anglo trial and and now this I think well this trial highlighted a few things Um, the problems for guards on a spontaneous protest you'd have some sympathy for them I think on the day this suddenly happens and you have to react quite quickly where I don't think they covered themselves in glory was the investigation afterwards. I know the uh, defence raised applications in the course of the trial um, relating to the fact that you know there was a jobs list to go and interview local people in the area that wasn't carried out. There was no explanation as to why that wasn't done. That everyone in Ankasan was um, interviewed, um, and yet people who were in the protests were told they'd be cautioned when they were being interviewed. So I think there were a lot of problems flagged up in the course of the trial with the investigation, and then as you say, the now accepted overreach of the DPP in bringing these charges. Um, I think there's been quite a bit of vitriol in in the paper. You know, it's obviously quite a divisive topic, but um, there is this sort of argument, you know, against the extreme left and, you know, these kind of demonising a lot of people in Jobstown, that's still going on. You might not like what happened that day. I don't think I would have liked to have been Joan Burton that day or her advisor by any means. But at the same time, they are angry with the Labour Party because the Labour Party moved so far to the centre that they weren't going into these areas and they were being completely unrepresented and they weren't being heard. And it did boil over. And from what I understand, you, you know, it got out of hand in cert- at certain points Um but there are, there's a problem there, you know, if you, they should, they need to kind of look at it and say, well, why don't we represent these people?
1: What's your take on the social media uh, commentary I wasn't happy that, with was, that, that was, that was, oh, tell me, why not?
2: Um, well, for, you know, I've been reporting on the courts for years and then suddenly this case gets undue attention. Now, I can see, I've already highlighted <laughs> why I think there are differences with it. But, you know, outside, People standing out there going, "Oh, biased media." I mean, it was exactly the kind of coverage you'd get in any trial, and it wasn't biased. And then you have this whole social media campaign. Why do it? Like, what was the point of that? To inform the, the,
3: I mean, uh, the, f- the public. I mean, to inform the public of what? Because on, on the first to say, town not on, guilty. On the first day of mainstream Adnauseum. reports, on the first day of mainstream uh, media reports of the trial, uh, nearly all the reports gave almost the entire of their report to the prosecution. The opening case. of the prosecution almost, case. But, that's but what it, w- it was also, uh, it, sorry, this is. On uh, the opening day of the examination of Joan Burton, excuse me, you're right about the opening of the prosecution, it was all about the prosecution questioning of Joan Burton and nothing about the cross-examination. Literally, in some newspaper reports there was one line, in other newspaper reports there was nothing. One Mainstream media outlet in particular, was extremely biased. It's a commentator who has opinion pieces against solidarity in favour of water charges. And the reports were extremely biased, in my opinion. And and we were giving the accurate information about what actually happened in the court. It
2: didn't sound to me like it was accurate. It sounded a lot of the time it was just quite hectoring. But, 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 and it didn't sound like this is the accurate thing. It actually sounded like... It was an, a campaign against the prosecution case rather than an accurate Francesca, reflection F- of F- what, F- me going on.
1: what is the legal situation? Because I'm, I'm circumscribed in what I can mm-hmm. say. You know, I'm, I'm, I used to often joke mm-hmm. and used to talk breakfast. I'm ready to pronounce a verdict. And, uh, you know, after day two of the trial on this, and they used to go into fits. The oh, my God, rain. don't say this on radio. In terms of what is currently legal and the new private members, what is the law about social media? Can you say what you like?
2: Well, no, look, I think the judge, it's left to the judge, you know, they have a discretion how they want to run the trial and handle it and whether they think it's going to be detrimental. And, you know, I think the judge in this case was quite aware of what was going on, but she tried to to weigh it up. And, 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 you know, she probably wanted to get through the trial and thought it it would be different if there were probably those people saying jokes and guilty, jokes and guilty would be more prejudicial. I don't know. It's a question of, you know, it is a contempt of court. Yeah, you can be, you know, the findings at can be... It's at the
1: be, discretion of the judge.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's brought up... I mean, obviously now there is calls by for Madigan to make it, you know, bring in a statutory offence, but that's not the way it is at the moment. Um, but, look, I, I don't think it's realistic to say... That all the regular media has to be zipped up and then suddenly you can go run amok on social media. The reality is that is can happen, but it's certainly not ideal. In other circumstances, I think the judge would have taken a different view. Gerard
1: Howland, your take on it all.
4: Well, I just, uh, I've, by the way, to say to Paul, I'm a commentator who believes in water charges, so just to put that right out there. Um, I think you need to look at a couple of key words, Ivan. One is community, uh, another is establishment. Uh, and also a concept called the democratic you know, uh, accountability of policing in, in relation to the community I would offer a view that no crowd constitutes the community in relation to the anger that was out there unquestionably towards the Labour Party their 37 seats was reduced to 7 at the ballot box when people as citizens in secret exercised their franchise in relation to the establishment it is at any time Whatever, whoever applies the label decides it is for the purpose of their convenience at that moment. In relation to the democratic accountability of policing, I think this is very important because as soon as the verdict uh, was announced, Paul's colleague, Deputy Murphy, in, in the Dole, uh, Deputy Barry Murphy, uh, you know, went on the issue of policing. Um, not just the quality of policing in Jobstown on the day, but the whole issue of how the police handled the investigation over the years uh, between the event and the trial. But when the police force in Ireland, at their most outrageously indisciplined, threatened to mutiny en masse for more pay in the autumn of 2016, one party, and one party only that I can remember, stood with them which was the then anti-austerity alliance, now Solidarity. But the underlying entity, it's not the whole of it, but the underlying entity is the Socialist Party. So if at a moment in time you stand with police to pursue an act of utterly outrageous indiscipline, how then do you have any credibility in complaining subsequently when their standards do not meet your preferred level on another issue at another time? It's completely, utterly incompatible with logic or with consistency.
1: Okay, let Paul answer that. Specific charge of you're in favour of a guard, a strike, and yet you're against the guards. Because there's a contradiction within the guards as we see them. Right? The guards,
3: in one sense, are workers like other workers, uh, in the sense that they get paid, they have to pay, or are threatened with paying water charges, bin charges, whatever, and they experience this, many of the same problems that ordinary people feel. However, their job is often to protect the established order, protect the interests of the rich, protect corporations, uh, as seen classically in the anti-water charges battle, the imposition of uh, water meters. And we're in favour of emphasising and supporting the first element, which is their interests as workers. And we say to them, and we did at the time and in our press statements and so on, we we support you here in terms of your pay claim, your right to take uh, action. But we also say to you that you should not allow yourself to be used against protest movements, against social movements, against
1: strikes, etc. My panel today is Francesca Cummins, Paul Murphy TD and Gerard Howland of The Examiner. Let's just look at two futuristic aspects of this um, the likely cost to the taxpayer in terms of free legal aid but especially one of the campaign calls on Friday was that the charges against 11 outstanding people be dropped Just tell us, uh, Francesca still, what is before the courts remaining?
2: This October, uh, I think it's another seven are due to stand trial on charges of violent disorder and false imprisonment. And then next April, another four. And I don't think they're violent disorder. It's false imprisonment again. Or is it the other way around? It's
1: not false
3: imprisonment. It's not false false imprisonment.
2: Okay, yeah, fair enough. So there's still quite a few outstanding, you know. And tell
1: me this, Uh, can the DPP have another go at public order offences against those who are acquitted?
2: Uh, against those who were acquitted. Yeah, no.
1: no, but they were acquitted of false imprisonment. <laughs> well, can, I can you go for a Are you going to go for
2: a kind of double... Well, I mean, it wasn't that one of the criticisms that they needed to move within six months and they didn't and then there was a whole kind of so getting legal okay. opinions as to what to do. So no, that's okay. it. That's out.
1: Now, on the legal costs thing, uh, the story in the front page of the Mail on Sunday today saying that The barristers who were, you know, approved for the free legal aid in the Shawnee Fitz case got a 40 grand starter fee. Mm. And instead of getting the 858 per day uh, charge, and it was a very long running case, they got three grand per day. Do we have any visibility? Because I've heard figures bandied about in terms of the free legal aid. Mm. And in terms of the prosecution case, what would the Jobstown trial have clocked up to date? Do you think? I think, as a guesstimate, yeah, because
2: I, I actually was there when you all came out of court, and there was definitely chat of it. Millions spent on this, but it wouldn't be anything. Uh, I, like uh, my understanding is that they were all on the regular, so that would be a brief fee of one thousand seven hundred and sixteen for a senior with the daily re- uh, refresher of eight five eight. So, if you sort of do the maths, I think it's somewhere between three hundred and four hundred thousand for this trial it lasted what 42 days including jury deliberations obviously in the long we've more cases to come so you know it'll clock up but
1: Just on the you you were approved for free legal aid because you don't take your 96 grand a year salary you take 20 grand well, e- Even if I did take the 96 grand
3: I still would have been approved for legal aid because the the costs of running a defence in the circuit court where the prosecution has access to a junior counsel and senior counsel you need to have access to junior counsel and senior counsel, The costs of the potential to be absolutely uh, enormous. It would have been 50, 60, 70 grand, which even if you were taking the full TD salary, you wouldn't necessarily be able to afford. And also there's the point that at the moment that you're put on trial, you're innocent until proven guilty. As it happens, I'm proven not guilty. And the notion that you would have to stump up 50 grand, 100 grand uh, to clear your name of something that you're not guilty of I, I don't think would be And what's your, would be what's
1: your case in relation to the other charges still outstanding? Well, we think that the entire investigation was tainted from the word go. It was the
3: second case conference where they decided to drop as Francesca was referring to the, the, the item number four in the jobs book which was interviewing people who were there who weren't uh, suspects. Uh, and then in terms of uh, the gross contradictions in evidence with the between the guarded testimony and the video evidence shown up, and, and we think therefore the whole entire investigation is is tainted, and all of the charges against protesters should be should be dropped. Are you um, going to do
2: anything about it, out of interest?
3: In terms of trying to get them to be dropped?
2: Well, no, no, no. In terms of oh. your own case, I mean, you're, you're not going to pursue any action or anything.
3: Uh, well, we're, what we're calling for is a, inquiry. an inquiry into it. Um, we think that's the, appropriate the government place for it. Uh Which the government has rejected so, so you're far. you not going to do anything else? Well, we're going to. Build up the pressure. Uh, we note that um, Sinn Féin has joined in the call for an inquiry. Uh, Jobstown Not Guilty is going to hold a press conference on Wednesday to try and gather together
1: you know, a broad range of supporters for that call. But the real point is call. this is a platform for a bin charge campaign next.
3: Well, no, we, we, we want to get some justice and we want to get some answers in terms of uh, this. But do you um, but plan
1: the same for bin charges? Street protests, opposition to payment, boycotting payment? Well, we need to decide on the best tactics in terms of tackling what's
3: happening with the bin charges. It is different in terms of a non-payment campaign. It's much easier to have a non-payment campaign against a new charge as opposed to a charge that has just increased massively. Uh, it was a year ago that the government was forced to backtrack and imposed the freeze. That was under pressure from below ordinary people and expressed by the left in the doll and in the streets. So we need to see about doing that again. Um, but then we also need to say, look the whole process of privatisation of bins has been absolutely disastrous. Charges, once introduced, once non-payment was defeated, led inexorably to privatisation. You have some, let's say, cartel-like features in the industry, uh, the ability of these companies to price gouge, and they should be, the privatisation should be reversed and, and the charges should be
1: scrapped. Gerard on a broader political level, do you see this a sort of triumphalist element emerging? Do you see this will be a, 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 an issue that will embolden the hard left? Uh,
4: well, of course, as we've previously discussed, it's, it's not clear how hard Paul's hard left is. But leaving that aside, um, I think the simple answer is yes, they will be emboldened, uh, and rightly so, because they've made conspicuous progress over the last uh, couple of years. And remember, particularly in relation to charges and the by-election in, in Dublin West in, in 1996, when you were in government, when Joe Higgins came within a couple of hundred votes of getting the seat that Brian Lenehan did, And your next guest, Brendan Howland, after we leave, had the effect of panicking him as Minister for Environment in the Customs House to abandoning water charges. So this whole use of charges as a political platform is now a generation old and has had on at critical occasions enormous impact on on politics in this country and i'm sure it has the potential to again but in relation to bin charges or water charges and i'm fascinated by paul's use of the term ordinary people are they the same as working people is that the same as the community but even leaving all of that aside right uh, we are a country where in last year 2016 at uh, 20 The uh, 9% of income earners paid no direct tax. We are astonishingly a country with no water charges, unfortunately. We are astonishingly a country where we're nearly out of landfill, where we are not delivering on our obligations to the environment, but we don't have in the majority of places and houses a means for which people can control their use and be charged according to the controls that they implement within their household. So there's a bigger vision there's much bigger issues, and it seems to me that ordinary working people deserve a chance to have a society where the vast majority pay for the services which they, as ordinary working people, are actually most dependent on. Okay,
1: and I've no doubt we will cover on this programme and across the station the bin charges issue as it evolves. But uh, from (coughs) the Gardaí handling of Jobstown, let's move to the very top of Un Gardaí. During the week the questioning of the top brass of the Gardaí by the police authority didn't get a lot of coverage. You wouldn't have seen or heard what I'm going to play to you next elsewhere but I was keeping an eye on it because I think that the difficulties for Noreen O'Sullivan are only Starting with the advent of the Charlton uh, Tribunal disclosure hearings, beginning public evidence next week. Take a listen to these exchanges between the commissioner and Josephine Feely of the Police Authority.
4: It's a recording issue.
6: I'm sorry, can you it's speak a, up in there? relation to the mats uh, I yes. would
4: say it's it's a recording issue. A recording. Uh, uh, by individual members or let it be through our gisc system so there it's how it's how things went on in the system
6: it's a recording issue, yes. but it's behavior
4: Behavioural, or? exactly yeah so it, so there as my understanding at this juncture is that there there are different components to that right. which haven't been fully uh, explore, explored at this time
6: Again, John Toomey, who is dealing with that, John isn't here. So other than what we have in the content of the interim report, but it is only an interim report, and I suppose we're very cautious that it's not finalised. And in uh, Michael O'Sullivan's report, what he says is that he will, and as you say, Maureen, he will have it finalised. But it's it's, uh, it's a combination of factors. Um, so it's very hard to weigh up which factors of which, and that's the piece of work that is continuing, and Michael will have that um uh, ready for the authority like the mystery tour.
0: when we last met in public session we had a conversation about this review and we were left with an impression that the review was virtually completed and that a report was available so that's about nine weeks ago so could I ask you, is, is that the report you're now saying we might have in September
6: no, no, it's a different thing Charlie. it's a different report, it's different, yes, so can we
0: go back to the one that we were promised two months ago and see where is that
1: Well, where is that, Chair? Is that, uh, as I say, additional uh, observations were made available to us from our senior analysts, which uh, I think has required that we um, review the cases further, a process that's still happening, uh, which includes, as I said, the uh, um, um, requirement to go back to the. But is there a timeline for that? Well, well, I would like to think that. We we were certainly
0: led to believe after the last meeting um, that. it it would be available by now.
6: Michael's report has indicated that he hasn't arrived at his conclusions and findings yet. So what he indicates in his report that that will be all available and he will have a full analysis and evaluation of that done uh, by the time he completes his final report. I
0: guess our concern, Commissioner, is that this is the second interim report and I suppose both of them are simply a list of activity. And one would have thought if if the final report is imminent, which this uh, document says it is, that we'd be getting past a list of what the Assistant Commissioner is looking at to the beginnings of of some analysis. There's no analysis at all.
6: But, uh, Chair, in fairness, what is said here, that the final report will include conclusions, findings, and proposed course of action. So that's why this is an interim report just to update the authority. But the final report is not concluded as yet, and there is an evaluation and an assessment ongoing, and when that is done, that will be included.
0: Now, I understand that. I, I'm, I'm simply saying an interim report normally includes preliminary analysis and not a list of activities, especially when the final report is due in less than three weeks, according to this, this document. Anyway, um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one there.
1: Why am I playing that? Well, I think you can aptly describe that as handball against the, against the haystack, haystack, insofar as... Uh, the, 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 what we've seen at the PAC from this Guarded Commissioner is obfuscation non-answers, answering questions that weren't asked and deferral. We still have no explanation of uh, 980,000 false breath tests that were inputted into Pulse. We still have no visibility on how bad the fraud at Templemore is. Allegations not only that there was the systemic uh, T- siphoning off of funds from the laundry and restaurant accounts, but also European training funds from CEPOL. Uh, still no answers from the Commission of that. And what we now want to focus on is, and I'm going to start with you, Francesca, is the doll set up what was called as the Disclosures Tribunal. I believe this uh, potentially, through the evidence of Superintendent, serving Superintendent David Taylor, could shake the foundations of this Dáil. um Public hearings start next week. Now, in the first instance, this was about the smearing of Morris McCabe, whereby a, a, a file in TUSLA in 2013 uh, alleged quite wrongly that he was a child abuser and that information was used mm. by, by, by some people we know from evidence from John McGuinness, from Philip Boucher-Hayes and the CNAG from the opening statement of the tribunal verifying that those individuals were told uh, of this smear being ongoing. Just Just set the scene for us. There's a couple of different modules to this. Uh, I think the public aren't aware of this because it's sort of background noise, but I think it will be very, very difficult that those who, quote unquote, express full confidence in Noreen O'Sullivan. I think they're going to have a rocky road. Tell us what's ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this, of all the Garda scandals of late, this is the most explosive. And um, we had the opening statement there a couple of weeks back and the evidence is starting this week. Um, it's going to kick off uh, looking at the, the Tusla file, the creation and the distribution of that TUSLA file by Gardaí. So I think we're going to get witnesses from the HSE and so on. And this was, of course, the one that contained the false sexual abuse allegations against Morris McCabe. Morris McCabe later on in the year, then we'll move into what Dave Taylor, the... Um, who
1: was the Garda press, press officer press for officer. the commissioner, effectively. And
2: he basically, he says he was directed. The former commissioner, Martin Callanan, is probably most in the firing line, but there has definitely been allegations there that Noreen O'Sullivan... Um, now, Commissioner, who was one of
1: two deputy commissioners precisely at the time. That
2: she would she would have been aware of it. Obviously, she denies that, and he says he was directed to you know draw journalists' attention to this file and um, for basically to show that McCabe was motivated as a whistleblower by revenge.
1: Gerard, the the politics of this mm. for me is already mm. Fianna Fáil Sinn Fein Labour, not to speak of. The hard left and independents like Claire Daly and Mar- uh, Wallace and so on are lined up against the commissioner. Mm-hmm. Could we reach a point, you know, you know, like the time in the Mahan Tribunal that Bertie's secretary, you know, with, yes. that that seminal moment mm. whereby Dave Taylor could say something that absolutely sounds authentic? Yeah, I read your piece in the Irish Independent yesterday, and the answer is yes. I mean,
4: Albert Reynolds, in his evidence, uh, in, in, in insofar as it referred to Desi O'Malley, implored a government in the witness box in the tribunal. In relation to the events of the spring of 2008 when Bertie Hearn's former uh, secretary gave evidence that effectively ended his 11 years as Taoiseach. So could there be such an impact at Bazooka, if you like, that could... uh, firstly imperil uh, the Commissioner but also impl- implode the government the answer is yes and yes L- let's see if it will happen I take your point about Dave Taylor having levels of access and knowledge that potentially
1: brings the evidence in so deep
4: because, because you, know, you know
1: from government, as a former mm. minister, your press no, no, officer... a former no, minister. No, 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 now. sorry, <laughs> but you worked Sorry, the relationship between... That was a fantasy uh, of mine. No, no, no sorry, this is an important <laughs> point. The, the press officer's relationship mm. with a top person is actually the most intimate of any relationships. Absolutely. So I would periodically, um,
4: for a few weeks and a few months, over a 10-year period, acted as government press secretary and you're dealing with all sorts of queries morning, noon and night and some of them you know what to say because you, you have a handle on it but there would be issues when you know your instinct tells you your, your instinct for self-preservation mainly tells you that you need to have a face-to-face which your principle. which in my case will be the Taoiseach is this the line? Are you happy? Are you sure? Uh, and certainly no experienced press officer uh, if first of all is going to allow their boss be misrepresented by, by saying things that they don't have authority or a basis to say or, if they're very sensitive or very important, haven't checked and double-checked that this is the line because it is their exclusive prerogative as the office
1: holder to decide the line. Paul Murphy, what's your take on the significance of the Charton Tribunal? <coughs> obviously, McCabe was seriously wronged. No question about it. And it's
3: obviously scary that uh,
1: the tops of
3: Angarda Siakana can turn With such viciousness against people who are meant to be their own um, because they're perceived as blowing the whistle and can attempt to destroy people's names with the the worst possible slanders and then have those slanders distributed, have a file set up in Tusla. Um, I I think there's no question that they're scared of Day-Taylor because uh, he should know where the bodies are buried, effectively. Um, And that's what explains the, the missing mobile phones, which is one of the recent elements of this. I mean... It's reported that Dave Taylor texted Noreen O'Sullivan in the aftermath of a journalist uh, visiting the home of the alleged victim of the, the, the sexual abuse, which didn't happen. Uh, he texted her to say, this journalist has visited. She texts back saying... Perfect. She denies this in she, fairness she, to her. Yeah. She, she does. So that, that's that's what's reported. But we have a situation now whereby the, the phone that he texted her to her has gone missing in the Gardaí. Uh, the phones that he texted from are in the control of her husband from the time when he was arrested. Uh, And the suggestion is that there's also another phone out there, her so-called off-site phone, that was used for particularly controversial or confidential um, communications. And there also appears to be no sign of that. So...
2: The metadata th- should be, you know, unless there's some um, there time the, constraint constraints. The, the, the for, uh, records. Uh,
1: the technophobic like me was metadata.
2: Well, I mean, you you, you call in uh, the phone records, and it's you, in the cloud. You, um, right. you basically, you know, the the phone company would be able to say who you called when. They wouldn't know the content of okay. the text, but they would show communications. System. System. All right,
1: my panel today: Deputy Paul Murphy, Francesca Common, and George Howland. Uh, acres of coverage in the Sunday papers about the judicial appointments committee. Bill uh, of Shane Ross Uh, no less uh, Francesca has a three pages or so Shane Ross and the injudicious uh, (laughs) crusade Um, uh, Gerard Howland it seems to me that This is relatively small matter, getting a few lay people to input in the judicial selection process. The final say will be with the Cabinet. Why are the likes of you and the Beaks all upset about it?
4: Well, I and the Beaks are upset for uh, diametrically opposite reasons, and I think the fact of a lay majority in the future, or a lay chair, uh, is a secondary issue. It's not an unimportant one, but it is a secondary issue. The primary issue for me is that Dol Éireann uh, seems to be about to give up Effectively, the power that it has in the Constitution and which I believe it should hold, which is to appoint judges you premise of your question and the premise of the whole discussion so is that true It is because let me explain if a short list is numbered in order of preference one, two, and three, the real politique of a government in office going for number two or three or going for outside of that list altogether is really undermined and minimised. The effective power of the elected representatives of the people to appoint judges who are qualified and in fairness to judicial... So you want to
1: continue with the cronyism?
4: It's not cronyism, it's called... It is, if you pick someone on the basis of their party
1: political credentials are you saying that no judge has been appointed a district judge because they weren't loyal to a party? And the
4: flat contradiction of that raw mate Ivan, is that people who have written books on the back of a really deep study of this show that while there may be individual instances of that, there is no wholesale evidence of it whatsoever. And by the way, you change this system, you put it into the hands of a sort of middle class, middle brow, unaccountable, unelected clique, you have created another problem that is worse than any problem that exists within the original what system. what we do for every other the profession. Open, uh, the open no profession no the legalisation no, no, no. No, no. if you use look at words, all the medical council no and iPhone. other council words up. that are misleading and inaccurate the judiciary cannot be characterised as a profession it is a branch of government it has the power to deprive people of their liberty it is not another job it is an essential part of the democratic wheel of the state and, it and cannot the process have, should be transparent it cannot have a basis other than from the, the democratic representatives of the people and because of all those powers you they
1: de- have it should be transparent you you depoliticise, you delegitimate. Francesca, um, w- w- will this bill make much difference?
2: I don't think the impact of this bill will be as disastrous as the judiciary make out, but I do think they've been treated very shoddily by the government in relation to how it's been handled, and I think that's really how unfortunate. Cool. Um, well, they got Maura Whelan brought in in a really unappealing stroke by the government. And um, we had Shane Ross a few months ago questioning whether they would remember their oath in relation to, you know... Uh as, as their, their assets and their, their interests and so on. So I mean it has been open season on the judiciary and I can see why they're fighting back and I think actually Elaine Byrne in, in the Sunday Business saying post there's other issues, the judicial
1: thing. reform yes. not addressed such Yeah as. exactly,
2: I mean this whole notion of a judicial council which the judiciary have been on board with and I think why they might feel so aggrieved as well is that they have actually been <clears> open to a lot of change it may have been taken a long time but they were happy to go with most of these reforms and they feel now why Shane Ross has only explained that he wants politics out of it, but he hasn't taken the politics out of it. The names that will be put forward won't be ranked. There'll still be three names. The government will have the final say. That's fine but he hasn't really said why the judges shouldn't have um, more of a say in who gets to be amongst their number he hasn't fully explained why you know, except for a rant against insiders uh, they, I think on the other hand haven't fully explained why they think it's going to be such a disaster they just say lay people shouldn't really have such a say in choosing judges but I don't. I think most people in the middle they can't quite see it, it's the ultimate insiders battle you know. they can't really see it
1: Paul Murphy, are you supporting this legislation?
3: Yeah, I think it's a a very, very small step uh, against the overt politicisation of the judiciary, of political, of judges, uh, the appointment of judges. Um, The Irish Independent did a study in 2011 where they interviewed close to 200 judges and and a third of them had a direct political connection to Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, which is obviously wildly out of step with society uh, as a whole. Um, but I, I don't think it deals with the fundamental points, which is, I mean, the, the class bias that exists in the judiciary. I, I've had a
1: ringside it seat. It served you pretty well, though, didn't it? Um, well, I don't think it did. Well, no, the judge uh, said to put the video evidence so not, not no, I'm, not, I'm not having any go at, at the judge that we had,
3: but it, it is an like, arcane situation. I mean, you're, you're sitting there and our, our lawyers were I mean, really, really excellent, really, really top-notch, but it's a bizarre situation. You have men and the occasional women in capes, Wearing wigs made of horsehair, appealing to an authority figure, calling them your your lordship. I mean, it, and they don't it means they call them judge. W- one, one, one of them did. So some of them do call them judge. But it's, it's a bizarre situation. And, and the reality but there the appointment is, appointment process. Bias. Do you think this this bill will, will? It's it's a step in the right direction, um, but it's it's only a step. The point is, in order to be able to get to a position where you could become appointed a judge, you invariably are likely to be a member of the upper middle class or ruling class in this country not all of them does it's that very make you less fair point. Um, it means you do have some inherent biases uh, it means that when you have decisions like about the Rossport 5 like about greyhound workers like about aerlingus workers it's not very surprising or in particular I think from talking to lawyers some of the most outrageous decisions you get are in the district court where you have judges who just Rule the roost, decide what happens. As a lot of party, p- politi-
2: Pal- party political parties have found out, that um, putting your own on the bench doesn't really have the the desired effect. If, if that's what you were looking mm. for, the, the judiciary you, have shown themselves they go to
4: on be in you, yeah. you, you move the appointment of judges out of the effective hands of the cabinet and you will underline class bias, Paul. Okay, well, that is in the class, constitution. Middle okay. brow, so called professional. I want to conclude that congregate on these boards are bias incarnate.
1: I want to conclude with the, some of the texts from the listeners I was saying about common decency. You wouldn't call uh, Joan Burton a traitor, a fat bitch, or whore. Common decency, Ivan. There's no decency in the policies of the Labour introduced that directly affected the people in Jobstown. Does Paul Murphy think he's more democratically elected than Joan Burton or any other TD? Could Paul Murphy define what he means by ordinary people? Keeps mentioning it. I'm just keen to know if I'm ordinary or not, says Dave in Sonny All Look, anyone from Cork East is not ordinary. And then we have this last text from Michael in Dublin. I studied law in college with Paul, and he's as smart as they come always when they start off like Paul with that (laughs) he can't believe the suggestion uh, uh, he can't believe the suggestion he made early that his live opinion tweets on evidence couldn't affect a jury and the integrity of the trial, particularly in light of his unique position in this case. By analogy says Michael in Dublin if Sean Fitzpatrick had tweeted throughout his trial in that manner what would Paul say? I wasn't tweeting throughout the trial. Uh, the, the, the tweets that I Now, the gave, question is, if Sean Fitzpatrick had tweeted the way you tweeted and retweeted, what would you say about Sean E. Fitz? I'd,
3: I'd have no problem because I, I wasn't live tweeting what was happening in court or anything like that. Uh, my, my tweets were completely banal, saying last week of trial, please come up to support. Hashtag JobstownNotGuilty. And, and defendants have a right to proclaim their innocence. You know, JobstownNotGuilty is not, as a hashtag, somehow in contempt of, of court. You and Sean Fitz, the mind but, but, but let's remember, Sean Fitz didn't go to a jury, and I think rightly didn't go to a jury. The judge stopped it because. Of the nature
1: of the investigation but the judge decided that we would go to a jury. My thanks to Paul Murphy, TD for Dublin South West, to Francesca Cumann a legal affairs correspondent with the Sunday Business Post, an Irish examiner columnist and public affairs consultant Gerard Howland
0: Yates on Sunday
1: on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE
4: Airtricity Business Energy Proud to power businesses all over Ireland.
0: Energy at work for you